chilling new original docuseries on Paramount Plus. Why did he kill his family? The answer lies across the ocean in a woman named Sylvie. She's a can model. Where desire leads to deception. I ended up spending twelve and fifteen thousand dollars a day. It was addictive. I can't get you out. And obsession leads to murder. Who did this to your family? You can't really maintain a fantasy forever. Control Alt Desire, now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. It is the Tuesday night of the second bye week of the 2019 college football season for the Alabama Crimson Tide. But even with the off week, Tide Talk with Travis Ryer and Charlie Potter continues on. That's right, the Tuesday night of bye week number two and joining me. Here on Tide Talk is Charlie Potter. Charlie, does it feel like an off week to you? A little bit, yeah. Um, we've had something every day this week, but you know the workload in terms of interviews is is a little lighter. Um, they're actually doing one less day of player interviews than the the first by week, so you'll take that. Um, you know, we obviously had Nick Saban talking Birmingham before. You know, addressing the the Monday night or Monday morning quarterback club as he does at uh, this time every year, but uh, yeah, it, it's just a little easier. We got basketball ramping up. That kind of you know always makes life interesting during football season. But it's been on the the quieter front so far. I say that, and God forbid, um, you know, there's gonna be a lot of news happen later in the week. But it's been pretty pretty so so this week. Yeah, to a watch, you got to think on Wednesday, going to be in full effect because that's the day we've heard Nick Saban talk about a potential return to the practice field. Who knows? Maybe Tua was even out there Tuesday after we were uh, shooed out of there after a media viewing period, uh, Alabama's first practice of the bye week on Tuesday. But uh, that sort of seems to be the expectation, right, that at least a strong possibility – uh, that Tua in some form or fashion uh, will be involved in the workout on Wednesday? That's that's what I understand. Uh, um, you know, it was after the Arkansas game, you know, Coach Saban had an update on what seemed like everybody on the team because everybody had a bumper bruise of some kind. But he, he threw out an update on Tua and said he expected him to be practicing uh, midweek this week. And then on Monday, um, you know, he said that he anticipates him being back on the practice field for the first time Wednesday. And by all accounts, uh, he's ahead of schedule. Um, he's been running on that Alter G treadmill, the anti-gravity treadmill, and progressing well on that. And, uh, you know, that's usually in terms of just the, the protocol and the steps coming back from a lower um, extremity injury. You know, that's kind of how they bring those players back and the next steps get them on the field. I'll be interested to see uh, if he is out there on Wednesday um, you know, what he's doing, if he's just working with Jeff Allen off to the side, if he's actually out there throwing and stuff, it'll be, it'll be pretty interesting to see how much he's doing. But I think right now they're, they're pretty optimistic, but you know, with these things, you never know what can happen. It just sounds like Tua's um, in a good place. He's on track, maybe even a little bit ahead of schedule, but yeah, tomorrow I know all eyes will be on number 13 if he's out there on the practice field. Helping to ease concerns at least a little bit. And understanding that the competition last Saturday night isn't close to what it's going to be a week from Saturday afternoon at Bryant-Denny Stadium. Probably a little more spring in the step of one Mac Jones during Tuesday's practice, given his performance against the Razorbacks in his first career start. 
Yeah, no doubt. I thought Mac uh, did a really nice job. You could tell they were trying to keep it simple early. Uh, you had some jet sweeps with some you know quick um, you know chest passes from Mac. They're they're glorified handoffs, but they count as a completion in the box score. And I think just you know picking up some yardage that way, that way moving the chains, doing some quick throws and things like that got him really comfortable because he is a guy that um, we've seen him whether it was in the Tennessee game going in there. Um, you know, the, the first drive or two when Tua went down the LSU game last year when uh, Tua left the game briefly and was able to return. Uh, you know, Mac Jones kind of looked like a little bit of a, a deer in the headlights. But I think keeping it simple, not overcomplicating things and not making him think too much uh, early on and, and going over, you know, the script in practice. I think that's something that kind of got lost in the shuffle a little bit last week is that he had an entire week just to work on the script that they were going to start the game in. And they usually don't deviate from that that much. So come back to the sideline, make some adjustments and move from there, see what's working, see what he's comfortable with and continue the game that way. But, you know, be able to have a full week as the starter and to, to prepare for that, I think helped him tremendously. And then they were able to expand as he got comfortable and saw that, um, you know, what, what Arkansas was going to throw at them and things like that. So I thought he did a great job. He had four incompletions, three touchdowns. That's, that's a two alike afternoon. And um, I think more so than anything, it gives his teammates confidence. It gives him confidence. Um, you know, they know that he can go out there and get the job done. Maybe maybe not so much against LSU. We'll see how things progress. But I think Mac did a, a solid job against Arkansas. And you know, that's a great, you know, first kind of not necessarily a debut, but a, a good resume building game for, for next year if, if Tua decides to leave early like everybody anticipates him. So, yeah, I think uh, all in all, Mac Jones can't be uh, much happier than what he was able to produce on the field Saturday. Yeah, it was almost like a play-in game in the NCAA tournament, maybe, for Mac Jones. When you talk <laughs> about future quarterback competitions, he needed that one, man. I thought he needed that type of performance, not only, and more importantly, for the immediate future, uh, but when you do think big picture, you know, coaches have good memories, right? And uh, they also have videotape. So you really wanted to put some good stuff on tape uh, against an overmatched opponent. That's exactly what Mac Jones did against Arkansas. Now, if it were only as easy, Charlie, as trying to figure out exactly where Tua Tonga Vailo is at in his return from his latest tightrope procedure a couple of Sundays ago, there are some blanks to fill in, right, with this Alabama team. Uh, at other spots, many other spots from an injury perspective. Yeah, I mean, after the, the game on Saturday, that was probably, in my time covering this team since 2013 as a student, that was probably one of the lengthier injury updates Nick Saban has given. And he gave several in his opening statement. I asked him about a couple offensive linemen. I know he got asked a, another question about Jared Maiden, the safety. And um, the, the good news is the even though the injury report – um, was lengthy. All of it was pretty positive. A guy like Najee Harris uh, twisted his ankle, and Nick Saban said he barely twisted his ankle with emphasis on barely, and that he's fine. He could have gone back in the game. Uh, Devontae Smith had a sling on his um, arm and was out of uniform in the second half, but it's just a bruised shoulder. He was out there on the field, and um, Nick Saban said he'll probably be out for a few days, but it should be fine. Um, Shaheen Carter had a little bit of a knee sprain, He'll be fine. Um, you know, Jared Maiden, like I said, uh, he was a guy that was in uniform, had his helmet on, looked like he was ready to go in the game. Uh, um, 
every play it seemed like he was just standing there eager to get on the field. But he has a pulled groin and could have played in an emergency, but they decided to, to hold him out. He looked like he was moving on pretty well um, on on uh, or at Tuesday's practice, even though I didn't watch that much of the safeties. We were out there only briefly. Um, what else? Evan Neal, the left guard, has a groin strain. He could have probably went back in the game, and uh, they just decided to hold him out and play Emil Echior there. Same with Landon Dickerson. I'm not quite sure what happened with Landon. I think it might have been a knee, but Nick Saban got a little confused in his update and said Evan Neal's name twice, and who knows what it is. But Landon Dickerson left the game late and didn't return, but he should be okay. Both of those guys were limited at, at uh, Tuesday's practice. And then Ali Kaho, the, the linebacker, um, he fractured his hand, and uh, they're going to wrap that thing up. It was in a cast, almost club-like thing on on Tuesday and he was moving around and doing drills but something we haven't really seen that much this year is those black no contact jerseys and he was in one of those to me um, that's probably more for just Ollie to know hey take it easy because he's a guy that goes you know 100 miles an hour every play and so that's probably more so just to keep him and others safe and then uh, you know obviously Tua wasn't out there and uh tight end Miller Forrestal, who's reportedly dealing with uh, a throat or a voice box injury, which is um, kind of rare to hear about, but it's something that could keep him out for a few weeks. But other than Miller, and then, of course, I, I don't want to say two is not going to be out there and not going to be fine, but everybody else is, is pretty positive just in terms of the injury rundown. I think I covered everybody, but it was a lengthy one, to say the least, for sure, after Saturday's game. And that sort of leads us into we won't go full scale into the uh, Tuesday night Tide Talk mailbag just yet. We uh, were taking questions from the roundtable there at BamaOnline.com. But Saban18 on the roundtable, oh, he's asking specifically, and since it ties in with Miller Forstall and the injury there at tight end, Saban18 wants to know oh, how much does the potential loss of Forstall for the LSU matchup impact and change things at tight end and can we see uh, Alabama going with more 10 personnel in the game 10 personnel of course being one back four wide receivers your thoughts on that uh, here as we we look ahead for Miller Forrestal and his potential absence Charlie it's it's kind of a complicated question because uh, it hinges on Tua I think Two is going to play in this game. Obviously, his effectiveness is going to be something that everybody watches. But you're going to want to have protection for him. So I don't know if you want to take a tight end out of the game. Um, the, the thing is, though, Miller Forstall and, and Major Tennyson, the, the top two tight ends they've been using, um, haven't been great in blocking all season. They've done a, a, a pretty good job, maybe a little above average. But they've struggled at times, especially in the run game. I thought Miller had one of his better games this season on Saturday, but you lose, you know, leadership. You lose a veteran player out there that's been playing since he was a true freshman and a guy that's, that's dealt with a bunch of injuries. You hate to see it, but um, I think that what they'll do with the tight end position uh, will probably be using a lot of Kendall Randolph. You know, he's a guy that um, has been in one of those hamstring support strips for, for a lot of um the last several practices, but he was able to play Saturday. And, and you know, Nick Saban on his radio show last week, I believe, was talking about how Alabama doesn't have that big physical physical tight end that they can block in the C area um, on this team. And uh, their guys are talented, but they're not great big guys. And that's why they moved a guy like Kendall Randolph to tight end. I think with 
you know, Tua dealing with an ankle injury. Um, I think LSU's defense is going to be very aware of that, but I think as much protection as you can get out there will be important. I, I think that the, the four receiver says for the Najee in the backfield, sure, we'll see that. But I also think they're going to want to have an extra blocker in there just to keep that LSU pass rush off at 13 if he's able to play. So I think that's, for me, one of the more interesting things to see what happens. Um, I still think we'll see 88 Major Tennyson in the game. Does that mean that opens up a, a spot for a guy like Cameron Latou, maybe a Giles Amos who we saw at, at fullback in goal line situations, or maybe even Jaleel Billingsley? He got a little bit more playing time uh, against Arkansas. I, I'm really interested to see what they'll do with the tight end position moving forward, but I think it'll be a, a nice mixture of the guys we've seen, maybe a new face, and then plenty of that kind of jumbo package with that extra offensive lineman in there as a blocking tight end. Yeah, maybe by committee, the best way to describe the situation without Miller Forrestall in there. There's certainly layers to it, and you did a good job of outlining some of those. Uh, I think there's two ways to look at more 10 personnel. If you do go with four wide receivers, what you said, that means you know you probably got Najee Harris helping out in pass protection. Um, can you protect Tua in that scenario? Part of a four wide receiver set, too, though, is that a lot of times it's predicated on getting the ball out quick. Um, it's more of a, a an opportunity to to get the quick passing game going with four wide receivers. So, you know, Steve Sarkeesian, uh, that's the benefit of having a well-traveled, experienced veteran uh, offensive coordinator who has dealt with a lot of different sort of personnel groupings and schemes. Uh, that's why he makes the big bucks in uh, Steve Sarkeesian. But, the extra offensive lineman definitely seems like a, a reasonable scenario, as you pointed out as well. And you know, we saw Brandon Green play a big role down in Baton Rouge in this series in 2014. Maybe it is Kendall Randolph uh, in 2019 that does that here in Tuscaloosa. So we'll return to some football talk coming up in a little bit because the mailbag is loaded with more football-related questions. But before we do that, Charlie, I want to shift gears real quick. And talk about the performance of Nate Oates' men's basketball team on Sunday against Georgia Tech. Uh, Impressive, to say the least. Uh, Spotty, even, at times. Especially, I thought, early in that exhibition game against Georgia Tech. But 93 points, and you walked away from it feeling like they didn't really put together, you know, elongated stretches of good basketball. The second half, you have to say, was a really good half of basketball. You score 53 points, and really separate yourself from the Yellow Jackets in those 20 minutes. But your thoughts, um, and and maybe what should the expectations be coming off an exhibition game like that for Alabama fans? I thought it was an impressive first showing. And you look at it, they're playing without three scholarship players. You have James Rojas and Jawan Gary, who are out with ACL injuries. And then Javon Quinterly wasn't able to play because of the NCAA denying his waiver request, even though Alabama's – you know, put in an appeal for that. And Nate Oates was pretty adamant after the game that he thinks they're going to win that appeal. And he thought that's what the, what it was going to take all along is, you know, getting to the uh, appeal process because they thought they had a better chance to win that route. So, um, you know, you're already shorthanded, but I I thought that um, guys like Kyra Lewis and and Jaden Shackelford played really well. Um, You know, Shackelford is a guy that provides them an outside shooter. I think he was six of 10 from three. Um, you know, Beetle Bolden, he's still kind of dealing with that shoulder issue and he hurt his wrist 
uh, actually in the practice viewing that we were out there for uh, before the exhibition. He was able to play, but you could see him over there with some ice on it. But, you know, he was able to um, you provide double-digit points off the bench. Um, you know, John Petty started off kind of cold, but I thought he, he warmed up later in the game, and he's a guy that he's just going to continue to shoot. I think the, the light's never been greener for him, especially now that Nate Edts is um, you know, leading the charge, and, and, um, and that's just kind of how the offense is. But I think that this is it's it's a good first step. Um, you know, Georgia Tech's not a, a great team. I think they finished um, with a worse like record than Alabama last year, a far worse record. And uh, I think that they, you know, you just go into it knowing they're playing an ACC team. But I, I think that this Alabama men's basketball team is going to be a lot of fun to watch. The pace that they uh, are going to play with, it was very clear to see, especially – in the second half, whenever they kind of got into their rhythm, um, that's something Nadez has talked about from day one, from his introductory press conference, how fast they're going to play. And I think with that and, you know, some of the guys that they've added to this roster, along with the uh, um, progression of guys that they return, I think it's a good mixture. So, um, you know, they it would be great if they could get Quinterly on this team because, you know, that way they add another shooter and a guy that can space the floor. Uh, but you know we'll, we'll see what happens. They don't they don't have that much depth down low. I think that was something you came away uh, from the game with. But uh, they got some guys that can score, and they're going to be a lot of fun to watch, no doubt. Yeah, you're not going to have to be a basketball purist to get a, a high level of enjoyment out of Nate Oates' teams. You know, you can be sort of a novice, even a very fringe fan, and I think you're going to find trips to Coleman Coliseum. <laughs> Far more enjoyable, win or lose, than you have for a good bit of the last decade and a half or so. It should be a lot of fun to watch out. And absolutely, the quinterly news here uh, in the coming days, definitely something of great importance for this Alabama basketball team during the upcoming season. Talking with Charlie Potter, I'm Travis Ryer. It is Tuesday night Tide Talk. More of the pod right after this. This is Tony Kornheiser's show. I'm Tony. We expected someone else. So what exactly is the show about? Hmm, I don't know. It's a sports show nominally. Football's over, but we're finally at a point where things matter in college basketball. And baseball season is on deck. Greatest three words in the English language, pitchers and catchers. We have some of the best voices come on and explain what matters or what makes an upset, like Ryan does. (laughs) Nine over eight. No, that's not an upset. No, yeah, it is, Bob. And if you're lucky, I might just tell you about my search for discounted sleep pants or my worries about what my dog just ate. Listen on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, Charlie, let's wind things down by jumping into uh, that mailbag that we post there on the roundtable at BamaOnline.com. We talked some about Miller Forstall. That was a question Saban18 had for us. Tua, much speed on the roundtable. He wants to know what kind of creative defensive alignments slash packages slash blitzes do we expect to see Alabama roll out against LSU? Tua Much Speed has noticed that there's a lack of stunts in recent weeks, and he is wondering if maybe Alabama is saving some of the creative stuff uh, for the purple nurples, he calls them. I don't think I've ever (laughs) heard LSU called purple nurples. Not bad, Tua Much Speed. Uh, And also, do we expect a heavy dose of Barmore on second and third down? What do you think, Charlie? With the Barmore thing, I think so, especially on third down. We've seen in that Dime Rabbits front, you know, he and Raekwon Davis are the guy that they put out, the guys they put out there. 
um, in those situations. And yeah, I do think that um, yeah, Alabama still has some exotic looks to throw at opposing offenses, and this is the week to do it. Um, one of the things, and Nick Saban's talked about this uh, before, and he even hit on it Monday, is you know they in the beginning of the season. Uh, or at least, you know, as, as the season progressed, they didn't have uh, a healthy Terrell Lewis. And, you know, they are better when they have 24 and 33 on the field at the same time than that being Terrell Lewis and Anthony Jennings. And we've seen kind of an uptick in, in the pass rush the last three games. Um, you know, Terrell Lewis wasn't able to get a, a sack in the Arkansas game, but he had <laughs> six quarterback hurries. And that's just that's just crazy. Um, he's a guy that just lived in the backfield. And. I think they moved him around a good bit, and I think that'll help with things. I think they'll continue to do that. Um, yeah, I think trying to get those inside linebackers involved in the pass rush will continue to be uh, something they do. We've seen Shane Lee uh, kind of be a little bit productive in, in that regard. And I think, yeah, uh, continuing to get Barmore in the game and, and third down situations and maybe getting a guy like Raekwon Davis going uh, will be uh, important. I mean, it's it's tough to say exactly what you're going to see from them, but yeah, I wouldn't be shocked at all to see some new things uh, against LSU because they're going to be facing the best offense and the best quarterback they faced all season long. So throwing something new at him, something that he hasn't seen before, uh, will be at the top of their priority list. Going to be a money game for a lot of guys on that field uh, a week from Saturday afternoon, no doubt about it. And I think Raquan Davis is right at the top of that list. Uh, Raekwon came back for his senior year, uh, hopeful of improving his draft stock. This is the kind of game in which you can do that. And this is where Alabama really needs Raekwon Davis to play to a first round level in providing some interior pass rush. Because as you saw with Auburn against LSU last Saturday, when you have a disruptive force right there in the middle of that defensive line, like a Derrick Brown, you present challenges to Joe Burrow unlike any he had seen prior to Saturday, including Florida, including Texas. Uh, that's what Alabama needs from Raquan Davis, and I agree. I think uh, Christian Barmore is going to continue to be asked to provide some of that in some obvious passing situations. As far as blitzing Joe Burrow, I don't know if I like a heavy dose of that. Besides, you've got two really good edge rushers. The two best edge rushers that LSU will have seen to date, by far, in my opinion, and Terrell Lewis and Anthony Jennings. So, ideally, you're able to get there with four. That's contingent more so upon Raquan Davis and Christian Barmore, DJ Dale there in the interior. Um, you know, and, and you know, the, another thing about blitzing this LSU offense this year is that there's a back for LSU and Christian. Uh, excuse me, Clyde Edwards Halar, who is very capable of hurting you out of the backfield. He's a big scrimmage yards guy, whether it's rushing yards, whether it's receiving yards, a combination of both. I think he had nearly 190 scrimmage yards against Auburn last Saturday. You have to account for the running back. I know Alabama's had a lot of success against LSU running backs in this win streak, but uh, this is a guy you're going to need to account for as well. Let's get to the next question here from the mailbag on the BamaOnline.com roundtable, Kennedy2015. Kennedy2015, Charlie, wants to know, how does this 2019 matchup compare with previous LSU matchups of the Saban era? Is there one specific year that this year's matchup most closely resembles? Well, considering 
the trouble that LSU has had scoring points uh, really since its last regular, well, it, it's next to last regular season win in this series, 2010. Uh, that's that's the obvious area, isn't it, Charlie? I mean, we're expecting more points and certainly more from LSU than we've seen of late. Yeah, I mean, the, the offenses are just different. I mean, you go back to a lot of people are making the parallels to the 2011 game. Um, that was a defensive slugfest. And uh, I think it was, I think it was Patrick Sertan. We talked to him earlier today. You know, he was asked about, um, you know, these offenses. And if, if as a defensive back, you kind of take a little insult to the fact that people are going to call this a shootout. And, you know, he, he answered the way that you expect Alabama players to answer. But then he was asked about the 2011 game. And he said that certainly wasn't a shootout. So that's obviously the, the biggest difference in, in this year's game is just the, the offensive firepower that both teams have. And uh, the biggest difference is LSU, what they're bringing to the table. But um, I, I'm not saying it's going to mirror recent years, but we've heard a lot about the weapons that LSU has on offense leading into to this game. And you think most recently just to the – the hype surrounding a guy like Leonard Fournette, but he was able to, it was never able to, to produce against Alabama. And, you know, Joe Burrow had a crack at Alabama last year and he had uh, zero points on the scoreboard. So I think this LSU offense is taking that next step. Um, and I'll be really interested to see how Alabama goes about attacking them and uh, defending them. But um, you know, the biggest thing for me is it's, it's tough to compare this game to, to recent games, at least dating back to the, 2011 game kind of what we've encapsulated this series with recently because the offenses are just so differently especially for the Tigers but um, it's not quite gotten to the 2011 game hype but um, there's still it's close we have a lot of time to go we're going to be talking about LSU for a while now um, and I know that you you look at you know this weekend both teams are off but I guarantee that College game day, SEC Nation, all those preview shows, they're going to be talking about this matchup already because it's one versus two. You still got the college football playoff rankings that are going to come out next Tuesday. I'm sure Alabama will be Alabama and LSU will be one two. It'll be interesting to see where. So we have time, uh, but it, it's starting to get to that level for sure because of what these two teams can do on the offensive side of the football. The game it might resemble the most from the Nick Saban era is the first one he coached in this series. From the Alabama perspective, 2007, that was a 41-34 game at Bryant-Denny Stadium, a game in which Alabama in year one under Nick Saban, just from a personnel standpoint, as far as comparing rosters, had absolutely no business hanging around in. And Alabama was able to do that. Now, LSU would love for it to play out that way because LSU won that game 41-34. to In 2007, LSU went on to win a national championship. But, yeah, from a playmaking standpoint, a points potential standpoint, that might actually be the game. And that game, too, in 2007 had some good punt returners. Javi Arenas with one of the most electric moments I've experienced inside Bryant-Denny Stadium with a punt return for a touchdown that had Alabama in really good shape there in the second half. And certainly you're going to have a couple in this game that are capable of making a big difference in the kicking game with Derek Stingley for LSU and, of course, Jalen Waddle for the Alabama Crimson Tide. Charlie, I think that's just about going to do it for this edition of Tuesday Night Tide Talk. You got anything else for us before we wrap things up? Not really. Um, I know we'll be talking plenty about Alabama LSU 
next week and um also it'll be the the first basketball game of the season um you know i have a a kind of a longer uh team feature preview-ish type thing coming up but other than that um it should be fingers crossed a, a quiet bye week to to finish this thing out <laughs> one week from tonight right the quakers of penn visit uh coleman coliseum yeah i i think that whoever handled alabama's scheduling process has a as a sense of humor, because I don't know that you could have got a better opponent for Nate Oates, you know, first game than to <laughs> to be facing the Quakers. That, the that's Quakers. A, that's yeah. hilarious. That reeks of Colton Houston, you know, even though you know he's kind of gone independent in that scheduling business world. But uh, yeah, there is some uh, there's some symmetry there, as they like to say. Charlie, we really appreciate you taking the time on the bye week, my man. We'll do it again soon. All right, man. Always fun to catch up. For Charlie Potter, Travis Ryer, thanking you for joining us for this edition of Tuesday Night Tide Talk on the Built by Bama Online podcast. Keep it locked to BamaOnline.com, continuing coverage of the Alabama Crimson Tide on, well, a 24-7 basis right there on the website. Talk to you again real soon. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast wherever you get your podcasts.